This is the word of the Lord from Joel 2. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Do not be afraid, land of Judah, be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, you wild animals, for the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locust and the young locust, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. How are we? All right. All right, we're okay. Um, Well, hey, my name's Cam. If I haven't met you, I would love to. I know I'm supposed to stop saying that, but it just is kind of my comfort thing that I start my sermons with, so bear with me. Um, I've been realizing that I've been doing this thing a lot lately is when I get a little anxious or nervous or sometimes sad, I uh, get on YouTube a lot. Anybody else? Everybody's got their thing, you know, but YouTube is my thing. And YouTube is a crazy place, man. It's a, it's a, it's a wild, it's a wonderland of, of stuff in YouTube land, okay? Um, and most of the time what happens is the thing that I'm trying to do, like numb out on my emotions, YouTube tends to like just enhance my emotions, right? Like even if I'm like a little excited if I get on YouTube, there is some amazing stuff on YouTube. Like have you ever gotten lost in one of those 60-minute videos of like people are awesome? You ever seen those? They're amazing. They're like the best thing on earth. You got like people like tightroping across the Grand Canyon and you're like, bro, you are awesome. 
and it just start, and, and there's just amazing videos. I get lost in golf videos, and they show me these golf courses, and I'm like, this is beautiful, you know? It's like it's kind of God's creation that man kind of inhabited on, made it beautiful also. I don't know. But it's, it's amazing, right? Like you were just like, man, people are amazing. The world is awesome. And then you like scroll like one more video, and it's just chaos. And you see crazy things happening. You see sad things happening. And for me, most of the time, it's the stuff that I'm trying to numb out on actually rises up again, and I just see it's everywhere. There's no escape. And the reality is that YouTube does in me, and, does, and, and it's, it's our reality in all of our lives, is that we live in between these two worlds, right? We live in between unfathomable potential, the, the greatness, the wonder, the amazing parts of life, and reoccurring darkness, the failure, the hurt, the pain, the stress. We, we live in between these two worlds, and most of the time we are experiencing all of it like at the same time. Like it's kind of an illusion that there's like a good season and there's a bad season. Like the longer you live, you realize there's just seasons, and it's good and bad all at the same time, all the time, right? I'm, 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 I'm on this like seminary cohort call on Friday, and people just kind of share what's going on in their lives, and it's a, it's a combination of missionaries and ministry leaders and pastors. And I'm just sitting here on this call like, oh my gosh, because people are sharing their stories. They're, they're, there's one guy who's like in Ukraine right now and his, he's like keeps skipping out on the call because Putin keeps shutting off his electricity. Like it's crazy. And he's like, man, it's just been really hard here. He's talking about how him and his wife are fighting and it's just like terrible. And he's like, but man, we had the most powerful worship service I've ever experienced two days ago. And you're like, what is that? It's like darkness and terror, and then there's just this beam of hope and light, and he's like, Let's, but I think we can keep going. Or there's people sharing about how their church is growing, and life is good, and then they have a miscarriage, and it wipes out their life, and it's both, because we live in between these two stories. We all do. It's reality is what it really is. In Advent, the series that we are in, the season of the, ch- of the life of our church and the, and the big C church in general, we are in Advent, which is embracing and acknowledging reality, that we live in between these two worlds, these two stories, the stories of despair and the stories of hope, the ones of darkness and the ones of light, the ones of suffering and the ones of healing, between promise and reality, right? The, 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 the promise of what is supposed to be happening in my life, the things I've longed for and the gap between that and reality, what's actually happening. And for some of us, we rage at that gap. Anger rises up when we feel the the gap between promise and felt reality. Others pretend. Most of us, we just kind of keep quiet about it, and we get on YouTube, some of us. But in all of this, what it reveals is our longing for more. It pushes on our dissatisfaction in life with our spiritual life, and we all feel it. And we can either numb out or we can embrace it as this deep longing for more. And that's mostly where the prophets sit. That's mostly where even these minor prophets of the Old Testament, they sit in this in-between space, these two stories. And what I'm going to look at this morning is, is, is the prophet Joel in, in the word that the Lord gives him to speak into this moment, in between the two stories. So let's pray, and then we'll get into it this morning. Father, we come to you only through Jesus. You hear, you hear us. You respond to us. 
And we just, we just ask that you would come this morning. We don't need more information. You didn't even come with information, but you came with your personal presence. And that's what we long for this morning. Would you reveal to us the deep longings of our hearts and how you long to meet us there? Use this, uh, this word that was written 2,700 years ago. And would you breathe the breath of life on it that it might speak to our hearts this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So my man Joel, the prophet Joel, he, he sits in between this time, right? He's read the stories, he's lived through some of them, and he's deeply aware of Israel's rebellion, the people of God worshiping other gods, being oppressors, being oppressed, being disobedient. Like he's seen it, he's read it, he's lived of it. But he's also aware of this hope of what's coming, right? Of, of what God has done in the past and ultimately who God is. And it's into this moment, this moment of darkness, this moment of silence that Joel gives this word. Joel 2 verse 12 that we just read, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart and not just your garments. Return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. So this morning what we're going to do, we're going to look at an invitation from God in this moment, and then we're going to see what God's response is even to his own invitation. But let's start here, right? How the pastor starts, even now. I love that. Because how much of our spiritual lives do we just say, in a little bit, <laughs> maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day, but, but, but here's Jesus' invitation to you right now, even now, like right now. Because that's all you have, by the way, is right now is the current moment that you're living in, that we're in together. That's all we really have. And everything in us and outside of us wants to actually just pull us out of the moment. It wants to pull us into our past or into our future, right? Into our past, even the good things, right? The remember wins, the good old days. Remember when we used to have this? Remember when it used to be like that? Or even spiritually for some of us, when you remember what it was like when you were on that retreat, <laughs> You remember what it was like when your quiet times were natural and normal. You remember what it was like when your prayer life felt vibrant and alive and it felt like the good old days of your spiritual life and now here you are and you just keep thinking about how it used to be. And then there's the looking back that's, that's bad, the, the, the shame that lives inside of us, the regret that we hold, the stuff that, that we just can't seem to forget, that we can't seem to get over, that just lives in our minds and in our hearts and we just can't escape it. And it pulls us back. It doesn't allow us to live in the moment because we're just thinking about the past. But in the same way, we're trying to be dragged into our future. And planning, dreaming, I'm all for all of those things. But, but as long as we know that anxiety most of the time is a future-oriented emotion, that it's something that we are, we are thinking about, something that possibly could happen, that fear inside of us is most of the time it's future-oriented. It's something that we're considering that could happen, that might happen that's not actually oriented in the right now. Rarely is fear and anxiety in the now. Rarely is shame in the now. It's almost always in your past or your future. But there's grace from Jesus to follow him and to be in the moment. And that's where this even starts with, even now, like right now. And to learn to respond to him in real time. Which let me just say, that's like really hard even on a Sunday morning, okay? Like if there's ever a place to be present, it's like, I'm here in church. But I know. I know what it's like to just barely roll in here on a Sunday morning. It's just like, yo, I, I don't even know how I'm here. My, my mind is a thousand other places. 
I know what that's like, but, but, but it's learning to sense that Jesus is here right now, that he's with us in the moment. It's why the Gospel of Mark is like jam-packed with this word. Some of you love the Gospel of Mark, and it's for this word, immediately, you know? It's, it, it's like peppered throughout the entire book of the Gospel of Mark. It's like the, Jesus reveals himself to his disciples. He says, come follow me. And it's like immediately they drop their nets and they follow Jesus. It's like, did they really? I don't know. But it's, it's meant to emphasize this point. That there is a real-time response to Jesus, even right now. And that everything in us wants to say, let me wait a little bit. Let me see how this plays out. But real faith is the in-moment, immediately learning to respond to Jesus. That's why the book of Hebrews says today is the day of salvation, right? Today, not, not tomorrow, not next week. And a lot of time we use that to say, give your life to Jesus today, not tomorrow. You know, that's, that's, if I was a real good preacher, that's what I'd say up here, right? But even just a sense, this kind of invasive invitation from Joel, it's like all up in your business, like right now, bro, even right now, right now. And what does he say? Even now, return to me with all your heart. Rend your hearts, not just your garments. So, so hear the invitation from God this morning. Right now, what God wants is your heart. Not just your garments, but your heart. As if to say that the temptation and the propensity that we have inside of us is to just give him our garments, right? That's the natural way that we relate to God is not just with our whole hearts, but with our garments, and, and these garments are the symbolic thing for the outside of us, right? What Jesus talked about, you, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is disgusting, bro. He says the outside of us, the, the garments, it's your religiosity. It's the things that you think you should say, the things that we hide behind, the image that we're trying to, to curate and create. He says, I don't want that. Stop pretending, but return to me with your whole heart. I don't know for some of you, this is, this is a controversial thing, okay? But I'm, I'm, I'm into the chosen, okay? I know some people love the chosen. Some of you think that that man, if you saw him on the street, you would stop and worship him right now because you think that's actually Jesus. I mean, it's not, okay? All right? Some of you like are head over heels for the chosen and you're like, I don't even read my Bible anymore. I just watch the chosen, you know? You're like, I just wish we'd stop preaching sermons and just play the chosen every Sunday. That's some of us, okay? Some of us are like, I will never watch the chosen. I will not look at Jesus' face until I see him in glory, you know? So, that, so we've got some different people. I'm kind of in between, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm slow to move into Christian media, okay? I'm a, little, I'm, I'm a little hesitant, but the chosen is fire. It's amazing, okay? I can't lie. It's so good. And for some of you, even as I'm saying this, you might have this scene in your head. It's a scene that pops into my head, and it's when Mary comes back to Jesus, okay? Jesus had just delivered Mary, healed her, set her free, invited her into the discipleship community, and then she has this moment where she kind of backslides into her old life. And really all this is is a picture that we can all relate to, right? That picture that, that I was doing really good and now I'm not. And Mary, the way she comes before Jesus is, is so, so relatable to so many of us. She comes to me and she says, I just can't do it, Lord. I can't. I'm trying and I can't. I can't be who you want me to be. I, 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 I did it for a little bit, but it didn't work. And you remember what Jesus says to her? Mary, I just want your hearts. Woo! I watched that. I was like, oh, Lord. You know, man. But he looks at I just want your heart. And hear the words from God this morning. Jumping off the page to you, I just want your hearts. I just want you, the real you. 
with all your failure, all your stress, all your anxiety, and he wants to meet you right there. Rend your hearts to me, not just your garments. And I love that he doesn't just say, he doesn't just put like a period there, but then he actually explains why he is worthy of us, not just giving him our garments, but giving him our hearts. He says this, because the Lord is gracious and compassionate, that he's slow to anger, that he's abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. So here we are again, right? The, the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. Very important, okay? It's just a, that's just a good little, little thing to remember. Because he, he's constantly reminding us that he is gracious and compassionate, that he is trustworthy. So many of you have relationships and have been wounded by people that you feel unsafe. Can I say that our Father in heaven, he is safe. He's trustworthy. He's abounding, overflowing, dripping. It's, it's, it's running out of his cup. It's like a bad barista who gives you too much coffee and it's spilling everywhere. That's how his love is for us. It overflows. He relents from giving us what we deserve. That's who he is. And he's reminding us again and again, this is who I am. You can trust me with your hearts. You can give me everything. But for most of us, that still feels foreign. And and let let me let you in on something, okay? Most of the time, spiritual breakthrough in our lives starts when you actually say what you think and feel you're convinced that you're not allowed to say. Let me say it again. Spiritual breakthrough usually comes when you finally say what you think and feel, but but you've convinced yourself, I'm not allowed to say those things. Almost always happens in those places, it's when you come to name the doubt that you're experiencing, you stop running from it or ignoring it, when you name that secret fear that you have, when you name that shame that you're carrying in community with God alone in prayer, when you learn how to name those things. But, we, but we've been conditioned to think that we're not allowed to say certain things. We're not allowed to bring them up in prayer alone with God or in community. But what's interesting is that's almost always the pathway that Jesus meets us, right? I think of Thomas, okay? Thomas gets a bad rap almost all the time in the gospel stories, but his story's been moving to me lately. See, Thomas, he's like, everybody knows Thomas, that's his thing, he's the doubter, you know, the doubting Thomas, okay? But Thomas has this like super powerful moment with Jesus where, first off, his his doubt affirms all of our doubt, because sometimes we always think like, man, if I could just see Jesus do one miracle, I'm in, you know? But Thomas is like the direct confrontation to that because he saw everything for three years and then the disciples run up to Thomas and like he, he rose from the dead. He did, what he, he did what he said he was gonna do. And Thomas is like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it, okay? And he's alone, he's by himself. But he says, he says until I put my, my hand into, into the, the piercing in his sides, I'm not gonna believe. And some of us were like, man, classic Thomas, no faith. You know, you gotta have faith, Thomas. But how does Jesus respond to Thomas? You know the story. He says, go ahead. He, he reveals himself to Thomas in his doubt in that moment. And he says, go ahead, put your hand in my side. He reveals himself in the very way that Thomas actually asks. It's the pathway to actually encountering Jesus is through us naming the doubt that we're feeling, naming the fear that we're experiencing, naming the shame that we're carrying. And it's because it's the only place he can meet us. There's no power for us when we just present our garments. There's no healing for us when we just present the things that we're supposed to do and we, we present the things that we think people are, think that we should say. 
There's only power and healing and freedom found when we give our hearts to God. And when we learn to name those things, when we dig deep enough to actually find out what is that thing inside of me that doesn't feel right? What is it? Not just that kind of general, like, I just feel discouraged lately, which is a fine feeling, but most of the time it's just kind of this, like, I don't really know. Not good. Pray for me, you know? That's most of the time what community groups can be. But when you learn to sit in God's presence long enough for him to reveal you to yourself, that's usually when breakthrough tends to come. And can I just say, man, I'm, I feel like we're experiencing this. I feel like I've seen this like five or six times in the past just like three weeks or a month. In, in a prayer time or just even in, in, in a small group of people and we're just having a conversation and it seems like somebody finally just like says what they've been feeling for the long time and God meets them there. <laughs> he meets them and, and, and you see something happen in them because they share something and people surround them in prayer or we're just praying together and you just see something break inside of a person. It's what happens. And it's happening now. We're just asking for more. God, do more of that. We want breakthrough in people's lives as we bring ourselves before him. And why? Because it's what God wants. What God longs for this morning, what God longs for in your life is your heart. He wants the real you. So the invitation from God, rend your hearts to me. Return with all your hearts to me. And then what is the response of God to us returning? Well, you read at the end of chapter 2 in Joel, he says this, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. God's invitation in the middle of these two worlds, come to me with all your heart. God's response to us as we bring ourselves before him, I will pour out my spirit. And isn't it interesting, right? Like if all we needed was right information from God, he probably would have just like dropped a nice instruction manual for us, which is sometimes how we relate to God. It's just like he's the one who's up in the sky and he just drops an instruction manual. That's Jesus' teachings. We're supposed to do them. But he didn't do that. He came as a person. He came as a living being because the offer from Jesus is not information. It's life. He's inviting us to life. And his promise through Joel and Jesus is to pour his own personal presence out on his people. He gives us himself. He gives us his presence. And his presence is actually what the Bible is all about. Almost the entire biblical narrative is about God's people coming back into God's presence. For some of us, that sounds a little funky. Anytime you hear presence, you're like, what does that mean, bro? Isn't God everywhere? Right? Like we got, we've been meditating on Psalm 139. You're like, yo, I know. If I go to the depths, he's there. If I go to the whatever else he says in Psalm 139, he's there, you know? That's what he says, right? He's everywhere, which is true. And theologically, let me throw out some big words to impress you guys here. There's his omnipresence, which means God is everywhere, all the time. But there's something that the scriptures make ex- like really clear to us, and that's his manifest presence. And the difference is that his omnipresence is God is everywhere. But his, omnipres- or his, his manifest presence is when God is here. And you know those moments, right? We had a moment on Wednesday in our little, little lunchtime prayer thing where we just start praying, and we're like, man, Something's different here. Because when, when God's people come together and pray, you can just, his presence was there. He's here. He's with us. 
And some of us are like, that still feels a little weird. But let me just say, when you pray for people, that's almost always what you're praying for, <laughs> right? You say things like, God, just be with them as they go through this hard time. What are you praying for? You're praying for them to experience his presence, his manifest presence. You say, God, just give them comfort as they go through this thing. You're asking for the comfort of God's presence. And most of the time, it's actually what we're deeply longing for is his presence. And that's right in line with the entire biblical story. The entire biblical narrative is about God's people trying to get back into his presence. So let me just nerd out here for a second. I'm just going to walk through the story of God's presence, okay? Because it starts in Genesis. And it starts with God being with his people so that he walked with them. He talked with them in the cool of the day. They had complete access to his presence. There was no shame. There was no hiding. There was direct face-to-face interaction with God. And then Adam and Eve, they, they take the, the right to choose what's right and wrong into their own hands, and they, they, they sin. They, they believe the temptation from the snake, from the evil one. Sin plunges into the story, and what is broken is our access to God's presence. Adam and Eve, they're driven out of the garden. They're driven east of Eden. And the gates come up, and they're not allowed back into his presence, and they go from there. And the story continues through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, until we get to a man named Moses. And Moses is just tending some sheep when all of a sudden he sees this fire that doesn't go out. And he's like, that's a little weird. You know, this fire just keeps going. And he walks over to the fire and he hears the voice of God. It's God's presence. It's, it's him. He's, he's re-entering into the story. He's there. And then he invites Moses up on a mountain where he sees a cloud descend And Moses is just up there for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's just up there in God's presence. He comes down, his face is glowing. People are like, what's happening? And he comes back with the Ten Commandments and these instructions to build a tabernacle or a tent. And this is where most of us in our Bible reading plan, we're like, "Eh, I'm going to skip over this till about Exodus 34, you know. But but there's this beauty, this is what makes the Bible so beautiful. All of these instructions to build this tent, they're, they're almost all imagery to remind us of the garden. There's all these different things that, that, that point our eyes and our attention. The little menorah that we see, you know, it's meant to be this picture of the tree of life to, to see that we are actually coming. The, the, the whole point is to get back to God's presence. And the tabernacle, it, it is the place of God's presence. And then we see the whole book of Leviticus and all these things, there are all these laws and all these things that we can't do because man cannot enter into God's presence on our own terms. So there's this sacrificial system that's actually put into place for us to, to sacrifice these things, to have atonement for the sin of the people so that we can enter into the presence of God. And it's, but, it, but it's in this place, it's in this tabernacle. You tracking with me? Are we good? And then we keep following along, right? Then we get into the time of King David and Solomon, and they take this little tabernacle, and they kind of modernize it, and they build it into a temple. And it's this cool place, and it's still the place of God's presence. And it's what makes the language of the Gospel of John so powerful and beautiful. This is what makes the Bible come alive to you when you read it. John chapter 1, verse 14, he says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwell, what it really means, it's literally the same word as tabernacle. It's meaning that Jesus came and he tabernacled among his people. That he is the walking, talking presence of God. That it's no longer confined to this tabernacle or this temple, but it's in a person. So Christmas is about God tabernacling with his people, about him bursting forth, not with an idea or a new thought or a new teaching, but with his own presence. 
what we just read. He is Emmanuel. He's God with us. And if you're following with me here, you're going to be like, okay, Cam, so what about, why are we talking about Joel then? You know, some of you, some of you are like, I don't even know what we're talking about. But he says this, right? And just, just because we're on this, let's just start on the same page. Jesus no longer walks and talks on earth, right? Like he's no longer here, okay? The chosen guy's not Jesus, right? We're good, all right. Because 2,000 years ago when Jesus, he lived the life that we were supposed to live, he died the death that we were supposed to die, and then he actually, he becomes the sacrificial system. He becomes the once and for all sacrifice. He makes a way for sinful, broken people to come freely without charge into the presence of God. And then when he resurrects from the grave and ascends into heaven, he tells his followers to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And it's actually what Peter preaches. He uses this verse in Joel when he preaches, and he says this, and I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit And Peter says this in his sermon, these are the days. We are living in these days. This is what happens. The Spirit is for everyone. And and, and the Spirit brings everyone together, young and old, men and women, rich and poor. And he says God's presence is no longer confined to a temple or a tabernacle or one person, but it's in all of us now. That we now become the living tabernacles, the living hosts of God's presence. 1 Corinthians says that you now are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And your grandma told you that you should not smoke or drink or chew tobacco because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Or some of us, you know, we work out because I'm like, I got to get my temple right. My the temple of the Holy Spirit. I only eat vegetables because I got to keep my temple for the Spirit. You know, like that's kind of the, that's kind of the general gist that we read that, 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 that verse in. But but we've got to understand in the context of the scriptures, that is one of the most insane pictures of who the people of God are. We are the temples. We are the living hosts of the presence of God. If you are a Jesus follower in this place, you are indwelt. You are a living tabernacle of the Holy Spirit, of the presence of God. Romans 8 says that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave now lives in you. And I just wonder sometimes if, we, if we're awake to the reality of what that actually means. Sometimes we've got to walk through the whole biblical narrative just to see that's how powerful it is to be hosts of the Holy Spirit. That we carry his presence. Right? As Jesus comes as the light of the world, but then he ascends into heaven and he gives us his spirit. And he says, now you are the light of the world. You are my presence carriers. You are living, breathing temples of the Holy Spirit, more than just ideas, more than teachings that we believe, more than just talk, but we have the power and the presence of God indwelling in us. And we have direct access to God's presence at any given moment. That's what it means, by the way, when when Jesus says, abide with me and you will bear much fruit. He means Be in my presence. Intimacy with God in his presence. You know the difference between like text message intimacy and being with somebody, right? It's different. He's saying, as you're with me, the collateral of your life is fruit. 
when you're in the presence of God, it's just the natural outflow of your life. His presence is his intimacy. It's about bringing your full self and entering into the loving, tender care of the presence of Jesus. It's the place of healing, the place of freedom, and the place of power in our lives. It's how the kingdom comes. So the kingdom of God comes not just in mere talk, but in the demonstration of power, that it comes through us experiencing the presence of God. And I feel like I say this all the time, but you can't help but see the drastic change in these disciples when they experience the Holy Spirit, right? They go from scared little boys and girls to these like gospel-proclaiming missional men and women who are like, I don't care if I go to jail. It's like, what happened? Something happened in them. They received power from on high. They received God's personal presence. And it's available to us at any given moment. It's what makes every moment a holy moment. One of my favorite books, it's like 13 pages, so it's really good for you non-readers out there. I'm a PE major, so books are not my thing. But it's called The, the Practice of the Presence of God. So write that down for you book people, okay? It's, it's one of the best books ever. And what it is, it's, it's, this, it's this basically just a collection of journal entries from this guy named Brother Lawrence, who was a, who was a monk slash chef. So he never preached a sermon. He never led a prayer meeting. All he did was just kind of like, I'm just going to be a monk and pray and clean dishes. And it's just his journal entries. It's a collection of him taking every moment and realizing, having an awareness of the access that he had to the presence of God. He's just scrubbing a dish, just like, wow, I'm in the tabernacle right now. I'm in the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. That's every moment for us. And it's actually not just individual, but it's this collective together thing as well. Ephesians 2 says this, And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his Spirit. We are his individual temples, but ultimately when we come together, we are building brick by brick, person by person, this collective temple of the Holy Spirit. We are meant to be the dwelling place of God, the house of God when we come together. You didn't think you were coming to that that when we came to church this morning, like, I'm just trying to get in here, bro. I'm like, yo, it's the house of God. Come on. That's what it is. Psalm 22 says that he inhabits the praises of his people. That when we sing praise and worship, it, something happens. He comes, his presence, he inhabits, he, he fills the place when we worship in song or praise or prayer or even just by the way that we live and move and act and have our being. It's, it's the invitation to God and his presence and his spirit. Let me just say something about our church. We want to have great theology. We want to think about God rightly. We want to think about him truly. We want to have great community. We want to be missional. We want to be a church of mercy and justice and evangelism and so many other things. But it's all for naught if we're not a church who is after his presence. It's all for naught if we're not a church of his presence, a people of his presence. We want to be like Moses, whose life was so transformed by the power of God that that even after God gives him this promise of, you're going to inherit the land, Moses, you know what he responds to? He says, unless your presence goes with me, I'm not going. We want to be a church that is so dependent on the presence and the power of God that that, that if he removed it somehow, we would fall apart. That it is the thing that sustains us, that holds us, that invites us deeper, that we are nothing without his presence. It's who we want to be. It's the, it's the church that we want to be. It's the people that we want to be, a people of his presence. 
So let me close with two invitations for us this morning. One is just to bring your full heart before God. To be real with God. To let God introduce you to yourself. Some of you, you haven't been given permission to wrestle with things. And I just want to, like from right here, just say you have permission to wrestle with the hidden things in your heart with God. That is not just an okay thing to do. It is the thing to do. And there's an invitation for you to wrestle with God even now, even in this moment. And then the invitation to follow that longing. Right? Some of us, we, we rage at the gap between promise and felt reality. Others of us pretend. Most of us just keep quiet. But what it's doing in us is revealing our deep longing for more of God's presence. That's what's underneath of it. The more that we long for is his presence. And if there's one thing that God wants to give you is more of himself. Let's pray. Jesus, Even now, we, even now, we come into your presence as your sons and your daughters. And I just ask you, even right now, would you reveal to us the hidden, the hidden wrestles that we have, the hidden fear that we're carrying, the hidden shame that we have? Even as we sit in the quiet for a moment, Lord, would you, would you show us the things that we're afraid of, the doubt that we have? And God, we ask that you would meet us there. Right, right here, right now, would you meet your people as we sing, as we pray, as we worship? We're nothing without your presence. We don't, want, we don't want to just do church activity. We don't want to just do religious things. We want to meet with the God of the scriptures. Come Holy Spirit, would you meet with your people this morning? You're faithful and you're kind and you're tender. And so we just invite you to come and minister to your people. Amen.